What's up, everybody? Uh, Matt D. Marinas here from White and Blue Review. I'm here with my good buddy, Jacob Badilla, and we're going to be breaking down Creighton's 86-79 loss to Georgetown. Oh, wait. I thought we were going to be talking about Ty Ty Washington's triple-double. <laughs> I didn't see it, so I can't talk about oh. it, other than the fact he had one. So, Wow. That, did, you, did you see that, it? That we could totally go off <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, I, I wish I had watched that instead of the game that I did watch. Right? Did the Suns win, yeah. by the way? Oh no, they got destroyed. Oh lord, that was. A it was a twenty-one point game when I turned the the game on. So. Oh yikes! You were totally planning on having like a good like yeah. I'll finish watching Creighton win, then watch Phoenix win, then I'll talk to you. So. Yeah, I mean my night just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> I was gonna say, this is just trending downward for you, huh? Um, yeah, so Creighton lost to Georgetown tonight on pink out night and our best laid plans went out the window because we weren't going to have any questions tonight because I was just going to read, um, some of your emails, which obviously are very heartfelt and non-basketball related in a sense. Um, we will still do that. However, I felt like it would be only fair to open the floor back to questions about the game. So in order to get through this in a timely manner, although Jacob and I don't really operate under normal hours, being that it is already midnight as we're recording this, um, we're going to get through this quick analysis of the game. We'll jump into your questions, and uh, then I will hop into some of these emails uh, and talk about kind of the bigger picture of what the pink out game means to some of you guys. So um, we're going to still keep the same routine, although we'll just throw in some analysis uh, and questions because Creighton lost to Georgetown. So there's more to talk about. Um, I guess, first of all, Jacob, uh, just I know I don't know if you have anything written down or not, but just some of the if you're trying to find keys to why Georgetown won and why Creighton lost, if you're trying to figure out what column each one each area fills up first like what 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 are your takeaways and why the jays just once they fell in the hole they couldn't ever climb out of it fully and and, and put something strong together tonight yeah well i think that where you do start is when they fell into that hole and uh i mean they're up 13 to 10 dj gets that layup early in the game comes down rolls the ankle goes down um fortunately he looked like he was in a lot of pain went back to the locker room he came back and looked okay and finished the game but um, immediately after that, they gave up an 11-0 run in less in about four minutes of game time. Uh, three turnovers, 0 for 2 shooting during that stretch, and Georgetown basically scored every time. So you go from up 13 to 10 to down 21-13 by the under 12 timeout, and then now you're playing from behind the rest of the game. And they got back, uh, they tied it a couple of times or whatever. They get, they got back into the game, but they just didn't have enough uh, juice to finish for whatever reason. They just weren't playing well enough to get over that hump and that's hard when you're not playing well when you fall behind to have enough to get back into the game and then to push even further and take control of the game that takes a lot out of you and when you don't have your best stuff that's going to be hard to pull off against anybody in a high major conference yeah I agree I mean I think the game really did flip right there because I think Georgetown even as as hard as they were to stop tonight offensively at once they got rolling before DJ got hurt, they had four turnovers on the first eight possessions. So it's not like they were cooking. They had 10 points, but it wasn't like they were super um, sharp offensively. They had, they were making plenty of the mistakes themselves. It's just, so I don't know what happened. I know. I mean, I know we've talked about how valuable DJ is, but um, 
the drop-off was pretty dramatic tonight. I think it's just because you look at what comes – what's replacing him off the bench. Those We've talked about this throughout the season. Creighton just isn't getting a whole lot of consistent production from their wing reserves. Like, I think we, <laughs> I think we know that Sharif is reliable. I think we know that Kalkbrenner is reliable and that we can kind of know what to expect from them on a night-to-night basis, although they're still underclassmen. Um. You know, the Antoine Jones and Alex O'Connell type players that come off and try to provide, um, you know, some stabilizing effect in, yeah. in, those, in those wing positions, like just to give the guys a break, those main, yeah. those main rotation guys a break. It's just not, it, it's not even, it, the level, um, the level that drops off right now is just too dramatic. And I, and, and I, I think they tried both of them in the first half when DJ was uh, hurt. I think Alex was in for a couple minutes. Well, and yeah, so O'Connell, finished with a cool six trillion. And if you're not familiar with that, that's oh. when you play uh, any length of, of time and record zero stats. He was out there for six minutes and did not record a single stat. Six and, huh? wow. and Creighton was outscored by 12 points with him on the floor. So he was out there for that entire 11-0 run, I think, uh, must have mm-hmm. been. Yeah. Um, I know he's in there for at least part of it, whatever. Um, they just got crushed in the six minutes he was out. There. Alex was who came. Alex came in for DJ when he rolled his ankle. That was the first I, call. I think so. Yeah. So he was there and didn't didn't do anything. And then Antoine got a couple buckets, but also had two really bad passes for turnovers, um, some questionable defensive decisions, and uh, he they were they outscored Georgetown in his seven minutes, but Macton feel confident enough in him um, to put him in there for more than those seven minutes. Um, so that's the entirety of your bench wing rotation right there. And generally, yeah, Sharif and Ryan have been fairly consistent. Ryan, I thought just looked overmatched tonight. And I think yeah. that's kind of why Mac didn't go back to him. He only played nine minutes, missed a shot and had a turnover and he just didn't look confident out there. And I don't know if that was the matchup, um, I don't know if maybe he's kind of hitting a bit of a freshman wall or something at this point, but he just didn't have it tonight. So he didn't have it. Uh, AOC didn't have it. Mac didn't trust Antoine. And I mean, Sharif gave you what he's going to give you, which isn't a ton production wise. So that's your entire bench right there. So there really isn't uh, anywhere for them to turn in a game like this. When uh, you look at it, uh, Denzel and uh, Mitch ended up, producing pretty well they had they were probably their two best offensive players tonight um you did you only got seven points on three of ten shooting out of dj and marcus had 14 on four of 11 shooting but the last four of those points were kind of free throws late that didn't end up really mattering he was he had at one point he had 10 points on four of 11 shooting um so you just didn't get enough out of your starting five coupled with you got nothing off your bench so that's kind of a hard uh hard combination there to overcome even against a bad team like georgetown yeah it's just it's i mean that's what i mean like the starters there's a lot on them right now so they have to be good every night and then if one or two of them are off the bench needs to be there so tonight you've you had like the perfect storm where not all the starters were good some of them were some of them were okay and others were not and then nothing was coming off the bench. So it was like the perfect storm for Georgetown to get into a good rhythm. And it was like, it was like you said earlier, like Georgetown got into a good rhythm and Creighton never played well enough to not only break it, 
but sustain their own success and get control of the game. It felt like they were just chasing the game the whole time. You know, yeah. they got, they got after, after DJ went down that first, like that first like bit of adversity right there. Then Georgetown goes on the run and they played from the lead the whole time. I think Creighton tied it once in that whole stretch when early in the second half, I think Marcus, someone hit a three. I think it was Marcus. who hit a, Maybe it was Mitch hit the game tying three um, in transition. And then it's like, um, Georgetown came right back and that was where they missed a little, little pin down screen at the free throw line. And Blair gets free late closeout, no communication between two seniors and Blair sticks that three and Georgetown doesn't, doesn't, they're not, they don't sweat the rest of the game essentially like Creighton got within a possession or two at certain stretches, but it never felt like Georgetown was sweating. Never felt like they were really in trouble. That's the thing. Like you can't, in order to make a team feel the pressure on the road of trying to put you away, you, you got to apply some pressure to them, but they never really applied enough of it. So Georgetown, it looked like Georgetown was comfortable. The minute they hit that 11-0 run, it felt like they were comfortable the rest of the game. I don't remember, it was, I don't remember a yeah. stretch of basketball where they were like, where they felt like they were on tilt and they needed it a timeout was, to stop it or they needed something to like curb the run. It felt like they so. were, they were, they were in control the whole way. There were three ties. It was 7-7, 10-10, and 44-44. Yep. And that, that was the entire game. And every time Creighton made, – they made a nice run. Um, they, they were what, down 29-19. Then Denzel scores five in a row. They uh, kind of make a run there. All right, we're, we're getting back into us. And then Georgetown answers. And they answered every single time Creighton made a run. Heck, when they every, tied it, 44-all. Every single time. Every single 44-all, uh, 15 seconds later, Blair's knocking down a three. And that, and Creighton never tied it again after that point. And the one time when it did feel like Creighton had a little bit of momentum, Christian, he had a really good first half, was completely silent through the first uh, however many minutes of the second half. Then they made their run uh, from down 72-61 with about six minutes to go. And he got fouled, split the two free throws. Then uh, Mitch hit him for a bucket underneath. And then um, – Marcus got it to him for that reverse dunk. Yeah. And that's when uh, Ewing called the timeout. So you got it down uh, five straight by uh, Christian there to make it 72 66 with uh, 439 to go is when he called a timeout. So you're within striking distance, things going your way. Out of that timeout, uh, Belay, however you say his name, knocked down that weird kind of little floater in the middle of the lane. Tough shot. He hit it. Uh, it was a and zone, then it was a zone buster too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so props to them. That's a good play by them. He made it go down. Denzel had that. I don't even know what it was kind of the air ball floater. I don't know if he got blocked, if he was thinking pass, um, whatever they were doing a good job, like with, with Mitch and Marcus of getting downhill and then making the right decision. There was score or throw the flip up. And I don't know what happened to Denzel on, on that play, but, um, throws up something that doesn't catch rim and it doesn't get to the big men. So that's an empty possession. They go down. Christian does a great job of walling up on Wahab and forces a miss. They get the bucket or get the rebound, push it down the floor. Mitch comes clean off the screen, off the dribble, pulls up for a wide open three, doesn't get it going, doesn't get it to go. And then Wahab goes down and drops in a hook, and then they're off and running. The game's over at that point. So they had their chances, even after that timeout, they had two, they, they got a Denzel in the paint going towards the rim. 
and they got Mitch coming clean for a three and they didn't score either time. And then that was kind of the game at that point. Jesus, dude. I don't even know what to add to that. <laughs> I, I I took notes on that stretch because well, that was I'm just saying kind of that was that's that you're damn you're you're 100% spot on. That's like everything yeah. right there. I don't even know what to add. Like is you know, but you're just trying to figure so I think the thing is why. So why does So I, I wanted listen, to listen listen all yeah. teams are all teams aren't created equal, right? This team is built different in enough ways to be different than last year's group. So you're going back and you're trying to figure out why would a team that is coming off a 24 and seven season with X number of returners um, playing like this against what is perceived to be inferior competition when last year's team would play their peers and run them out of the gym. Right. So you're, you're trying to figure out how to assess uh, the problem, right. Cause you're like, is Creighton, is Creighton capable of doing what last year's team did and if they are in any kind of – in any, to any degree, should they be performing the way they did tonight, the way they did against Marquette, um, the way they did against Butler, the way they did against Providence at home. Like those those games where – I mean, at Seton Hall on the road, even though they had to shoot the daylights out of it to get back in it, like that still wasn't a great performance, right? That was a great comeback, but not a great performance. So you're like, where – DePaul on the road where they have to fight the game pretty much the whole way. It just feels like they're fighting – it feels like this group is fighting the game a lot and you're trying to figure out why are they capable of at any of that? Like, are they capable of what they did to Seton hall? Um, that, you know, the first week of January, are they capable of doing what they did to St. John's both times uh, once without their starting point guard, um, a St. John's team who just rolled Villanova the night. Like, are they capable of doing that on a nightly basis or, are they a team that's going to fight the game a lot because there's there's matchup issues somewhere on the floor that you can exploit for 40 minutes and make Creighton have to kind of, you know, battle and deal with that on, you know, and not let them get away from you. It feels like Creighton's whole key to their success is their ability to get away from teams, to hit them with that, just that ridiculous run where it's, it's not like a 10 to nothing run. It's like a 20 to five type of run where it just changes the whole complexion of the game puts the opponent on tilt, gets Creighton's confidence sky high. Um, we've seen that those those types of spurts have been few and far between, and they look more like, okay, they can hit you with a 10-2, you know, a 12-3, but they can also get hit with those type of runs because defensively they're not always hooked up and they have matchup issues that can be exploited. So if they're not always, you know, focused on the details, they can be exploited. Um those are the questions that I think are being popping into my head more and more as the season goes on, because they they're popping up more and more in games for larger stretches than you think a veteran team should allow. And it, it makes you wonder what, uh, what the remedies are, like, how can they fix yeah. it when they're not, when they don't have a whole lot of practice time in between games, when they're already kind of in a basketball bubble as it is, and you might be seeing their focus be a little bit fried because of the whole quarantine situation, the isolation of the, of the season. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into it and you're trying to figure out which one is the, you know, contributes the most to a performance like we saw tonight because they are becoming um, frequent enough that you can isolate them as what they're like. They're capable of falling into a game like this where they're not hooked up defensively and they're chasing the game the whole way. 
Um, they've been able to win some of those, but they've also lost some of those. So you're wondering, is that just who they are? Yeah. So I got a few things here just kind of running through my head while you're talking uh, through all Sorry. that. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, you're, you kind of sparked all these thoughts in my head and it's kind of a uh, good spot to kind of reel all these up. First, um, I think I kind of just like started thinking really after this, about this after the previous game is we need to, I think we just need to completely forget about last year's team. Yes. Despite how much production they brought back, this is a completely different team than last year's. And for a variety of factors, Denzel is in a completely different role than he was last year. Obviously Tyshawn is gone. Denzel is kind of plugged into that spot. Um, Mitch and Marcus have not been playing at the same level as they did last year consistently. Uh, Marcus had kind of gotten go going a little bit and then he struggled tonight. Mitch has kind of been up and down. He's had some really good games recently, but overall this season, he has not been as good as he was last year. And your two best players coming back aren't as, have not been as good as they were a year ago. You lost your other best player. And so now you've got Denzel trying to slide into that role and figure out kind of how he fits within that group. And now you don't have that spark off the bench and you're trying to figure out what that bench lineup is. And you bring Ryan brings a completely different dynamic that they didn't have last year off the bench, but tonight he was kind of overwhelmed. Um, like I mentioned. Um, so you didn't really have that in this game, but it's just despite uh, bringing back four starters and your six man and all they brought back, this really is a different team than last year. And we need to kind of get away from, unfortunately, it's kind of really depressing to think about because of what they built last season into at the end of it and knowing they were going to bring all that back it felt like this was the chance for Creighton to get to heights that we've never seen before we thought they were going to have a chance to be a top five team make a deep run in the postseason all that we didn't expect this year to be just another Creighton year where you're one of the best teams in the Big East but you're a top 20 team or uh, you're in and out of the top 25 versus a top 10 and top five team and so now it's starting to feel more like what we've seen previously when we, when we came into the year thinking, all right, this has a chance to be truly special. So that's kind of uh, a couple of things there too. Um, you mentioned kind of the, the, how different this season is and kind of the mental side of it, the, the, the fatigue, the mental wear and tear, the emotional problems going through um, playing basketball in a pandemic. And for whatever reason, it just, I don't know what it is, how, these guys are affected we can't know that as fans we can't know what's going through their heads we don't know everything they're going through to play this season and how each of them individually is being impacted whether their family back home with them on campus um, there's so many factors to this and john bishop was talking to mac before the game uh, like he normally does and kind of asked him like how are the guys doing mentally and uh just kind of paraphrased he said not very well and um, so that's it. like, he's kind of right there. That kind of, that's kind of eyebrow raising uh, comment. I thought like these guys are kind of struggling with this and we know uh, they gave them that, that kind of break off uh, that, that break some time off around Christmas and they came back and they looked kind of recharged and all that, but that was kind of a while ago now. Um, so we've kind of gone through another month of pandemic basketball since then. And it seems like maybe, maybe they're struggling a little bit and maybe that's part of it. Why it seems like they go through stretches where they're not always engaged. The defensive effort isn't there. Um, they're making some dumb mistakes that seem um, uncharacteristic of what we've seen of these players and of this team uh, previously. So it's, 
nobody's ever played. We've never seen a season like this in college basketball. And you can see just how crazy um, this season is with, um, I don't, I don't know who the third best. They're two good teams, Gonzaga and Baylor. And then everybody else, I have no idea what to think. Um, you, you saw tonight, uh, in addition to Creighton, you had number five, Houston, lost to East Carolina. You had number 22, Florida, lose to a bad South Carolina team. You had number 16, Virginia Tech, lose to Pittsburgh. Uh, you had Villanova, obviously, number three, fall to St. John's. Um, so it was just a really bizarre night in college basketball in a season that seems to be kind of stacking these on top of each other. Um, so there's so many factors that we don't know about. And it's like some of these could be impacting uh, this team on the court and leading to some of the problems we're seeing. We don't know. And we'll never know um, to, to what extent, but it's just kind of hard to, it's hard for me to cap college basketball this season because of everything that's going into it. And then you kind of, you want to go at well, one more point after well, that? Though. Yeah, go ahead and finish your point. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump okay. on I'm gonna jump onto that yeah. part. But go okay. Ahead. Uh, kind of replying to what you're saying, the kind of the, the they're built to hit teams with the runs and all that, and that's right. And it seems like the way they're built, there are times where Creighton just can't get the same kind of easy buckets that other teams do, and that, um, whether it's easy buckets or whether it's tough buckets that they make, like a guy just goes to the rim and makes something happen. Um, like that, that little tough floater, it seems like, why, why can't, couldn't we get, they had some real problems finishing at the rim in the second half tonight. And that was kind of part of how, uh, Georgetown was able to keep control of the offense or keep control of the lead there when Crean was trying to, to get back into it. So, um, if the, the way they're built and kind of the, the size and maybe some of the athleticism, uh, disadvantages they give up when you're not when you don't have the big advantage uh, on the skill side of things that you're designed to have, um, it's going to be tough to, to win some of these games. They both sides made 10 threes. Creighton did not have an advantage from the three point line. And um, they, they kind of kept steady with them in the paint, but um, it just seems like in the second half there, especially they, they, they had guys that just went and made a play where there was an easy one or a tough one and they went and made it. And Crane just wasn't getting well, a lot of those I mean, same looks. That's the, that's the thing though. That if we go down the stat sheet, it's even. The question is, yeah. should it be even between Georgetown and yeah. Creighton? That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. Like that, that's, so. the, that's the question we come to when we're like, well, you know, the three point line was basically a wash. The paint was basically a wash and it was, but should it be right? No, that's, that's your question. Yeah. Um, onto your, you know, it just popped into my mind, like when I'm trying to think about the season, because, and I know this is, I probably shouldn't bring this up to a loss because it feels way too convenient. I understand that people are probably going to listen to this next, what's about to come out of my mouth right now and kind of roll their eyes a little bit, but, uh, and you know, I deserve it probably because I'm bringing this up to a loss. But it's like, yeah, this season is not can't, shouldn't be like judged like it like a normal season because the mental toll is different. Guys normally have routines, and this year it's not routine at all. Like normally you go, you know, yeah, you, you you lock in for basketball at practice, um, you lock in for basketball during the games, uh, you know, your your shoot arounds, pregame, um, all your treatment and all that. But in a normal year, you have an ability to escape that and take it away from your mind, not think about basketball, kind of free yourself up, 
um, whether it be a social life, uh, sleep, whatever it is that you do to take your mind off the game. And I just wonder how much we're pushing or not we're, but like the season is pushing these guys towards a burnout. And I, and I don't mean to say it like it's just Creighton either, but I feel like Creighton is in an, in a situation right now where maybe they should just cancel some games for a mental health break and, and, and not, and just give them a break. Like let them, let them do the Christmas break thing. Let them go home to their families if they can let them see them if they can for a weekend and deal with the ramifications afterwards. I know you don't want them all coming back positive, but just let them, let them have that time. And I, and I, and the reason I say that, and I don't really, I, I don't say it like to say after a loss, I know, I, I guess if you were, if Creighton was rolling right now, would you want to break that up? No. So obviously there's um, a little bit of hypocrisy there involved in that statement, but um I, I do feel like we need to think about the mental toll a little bit more this year because it's a, it's just a unique situation for these guys. Um, and I wonder if the juice is worth the squeeze, right? They're not, they're not paid professionals. Um, they've been doing this for what? Since the end of November now with what? They had Christmas break in between. That was their one let it, let it, let it all go type of situation, yeah. type of uh, situation there. Um, and then, I mean, what would, what would they come, what they come out of that looking like? They beat Providence on the road, kicked the crap out of Seton hall. I mean, that's arguably when you look at that, it's arguably their best stretch of basketball when they played the best was when they came out of that break. Right. Uh, you know, yes. that's, that's, that's pretty much obvious at this point. So give them another one. What's, what's this season about this year? Whenever, when, they, when, the, they, when they brought back everybody that they brought back. NCAA like, tournament. Right. Okay. So what if you just wipe out everything else? We'd be just, we, and I know I sound like a hypocrite because this week I was arguing that Villanova shouldn't go chase Gonzaga. Yeah. They should play their Big East games. They should like, you know, if this Big East title is still up for grabs, if they want to focus on that, let's get that, let's get down to business. But this, this opens up an opportunity here. If Creighton looks like they look tonight, and I'm just reading the body language on Mitch's face. And I know I asked him if he's frustrated tonight um, or if he's starting, if the frustration is growing because of this, maybe it's just like, maybe the juices isn't worth the squeeze. Why are we talking about this? Like in an isolated, normal basketball season when it's not an isolated, normal basketball season, what if there's just a lot of pressure on these dudes and they just need some release. They need some, they need some like a mental release. So yeah. here's, here's how it looks. Hold on a minute. Here's how it looks. If, if, if March is what this team's destiny is tied to, right? They, this group has won a Big East title, haven't they? And the Big East tournament is, you know, always a war. So you don't know, the favorite doesn't always win that thing. So it's the, I don't know if people want a Big East tournament title as badly as they want a March run, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. That, that March run is all anybody cares about at this point. I, I feel like that's the same base. thing, too. I feel like the March run is all the team cares about. I feel like the March run is all the fans care about. And I know I've so, asked, I know I've asked Magnus in the past, which would you rather win a big East tournament title or go to a space 16? Cause I always felt like, you know, cutting down nets at MSG has a certain kind of like aura to yeah. it. What matters more? Yeah. He's like sweet 16, 100%. Cause that's what the fans want. Like, so it burns in their mind that yeah. March is what matters most for this program next. And I think every single player would agree what played tonight before the game. 
that unfinished business, right? What was the unfinished business? It wasn't the Big East tournament. It was March, right? It was yes. March Madness. So what if they just turn their eye to March Madness and give these guys a break, let them come back? They, right now, Creighton has played 13 games in Big East play. Villanova has played seven. Xavier has played six. UConn has played eight. That's the top four. Now, Seton Hall, you, you know, like Seton Hall might get pissed off. Like, hold up. They were seven and five. Okay. We're not far out of this yet. See, Creighton's already swept Seton Hall. St. John, six and six. Creighton already swept them. Well, so like Marquette is uh, two and a half back, three in the loss column. And that's where your argument comes from. Like, hey, we can still chase you down. Like Marquette's not winning the league with seven losses. So stop that. We're talking to, like when we get down to like Lee, if we're talking about the effect it has on the league title for Creighton to take a break and to kind of punt on a, on a 10 day stretch, essentially, I know they have it coming up. So you could also argue that, but I feel like that's a window for makeup games is what that creates. And that's why they can do it now. They can yeah, play I, games now yeah. and they can make them up later, but give these guys more of a break than we normally would. Fixing them into a routine where it's game, recovery, practice, game, that normal routine, I feel like is a little bit untenable because the mental health toll they're taking right now is is like deeper than we think because of the isolation yes. of the season. So just give them a break. Yeah. Let them come. Let them let no. them let them go off. Refresh their minds. March is all that matters for this group. This de- their destiny is tied to March. Yeah. So forget all so, this other stuff. Let, yeah. let, 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 all the rest of the stuff, let it just be exhibitions, essentially. Yeah. Let them yeah. be get I'm, right games. Yeah, I'm I'm conflicted about that. And even back when Villanova was the first one to do it right, to say, hey, we're, we just need yeah. a break. And then right? Creighton followed suit. Yeah. I, 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 this year is totally different. So it's like, I can't feel too strongly about it, but just, um, just deciding, you know what? We're not going to play games this week. Like that just, like, in a competitive situation and where other, other people are impacted by that and you're scheduled to play these games, you come in, Hey, these are the games that we're going to play. That's kind of part of the deal of being in this league and being in this league chase and all that type of stuff. Um, like just decide, you know what? We're struggling right now. We're, we're just not going to play games like that. I just don't, it just doesn't feel right to me. That being said, like Max is going to have to decide what's best for his team. And even more than Mac, it's, it's going to be on these guys to decide for themselves. All right. What, what, what is our motivation here? What do we truly want? Uh, Cause I, a lot of it, like we have seen lack of attention, detail, lack of effort, lack of togetherness and all those things that just weren't um, present the second half of last year. And um, that we, that we don't come to expect Creighton to be like that. That's not why they're good. They're good because, of the opposite, they, they're, they're playing together on both ends of the floor. They're going out there and they're playing really hard. They've got guys like Marcus uh, and DJ that are so uh, incredibly competitive that are going to lay it all out there. We saw, heck, we saw Mitch diving all over the floor tonight. Like, obviously, there's still, like, he's still got that in him, but they're just going to have to collectively decide what's important to us. How can we get to where um, we want to be? Because, like, right now, like, they're, like they're not in danger of missing the tournament unless they just start losing a bunch of these games, but they have not done well for themselves. Uh, like setting up for the, their tournament run. You talked about like it doesn't seeding doesn't really matter that much anymore because it's all in the same place, but you still don't want, you still want to get the best seed that you're, you possibly can. 
and Creighton continuing to add bad losses to that. And then you miss out chances to add more decent wins. If you're taking games off, um, a lot's coming down to these Villanova games in terms of what kind of seeding is Creighton going to give itself for the postseason, because those are really the only two. And then we'll see um, if Creighton's able to play Xavier. Um, we'll see what happens there if they're able to get games in against Xavier and um, Villanova. Obviously, that those two are going to be huge. But I, yeah, like the, the pause thing. I just I, I think that's probably going a little bit too far. But Max gonna have to find a way to even if they don't send them home and give them a big, a 10 day break just because they need it. They got to find it some way to kind of get that to, to refresh them a little bit, even if it's in the midst of continuing to play their schedule. And the other thing, I don't like giving up games because you never know when something's going to happen. Play the games that you're capable of, get as many games in as you can. Cause you never, the next game is never guaranteed. And Creed could go on that pause and come back and immediately pop a test have to shut down again and then now you're out the rest of the season like all that kind of stuff like I don't yeah I, I, I like so I 100% you're right in that like hey this season is unlike anything and if they really are struggling they got to figure out a way to address that I just don't think uh shutting down for a, a week week and a half whatever sending guys home, giving them that kind of break I don't think that's really a a, a feasible solution but Mac is going to have to find some solution to get these guys playing like they're capable of. And these guys have to take it on themselves. Like, you know what? That's not good enough. Those miscommunications, like if we're serious here, we can't let that continue to happen. Those missed box outs, we can't let that continue to happen. Like that stuff, that that's, is it's focus, it's effort. It's uh, the, the one, two that um, fans always talk about the cliche and all that stuff. Some of it is there. It's not simple. Uh, like I can, I can excuse the plays where Creighton gets beat physically, it's they're just too many of it where it's not the physical. That's the problem where Korean is giving them uh, free. They're giving away free points on one end or the other uh, just by mental mistakes and effort mistakes. And it's not like they're coming out and not trying um, like for the entire game. It's just stretches where they kind of lose the focus um, and where they get off to a bad start. And then we have seen them rally and they've showed some incredible grit this year. And the way that they've won so many of these close games, that is really impressive. Um, but it's also cost them at times where they haven't been able to replicate. They haven't been able to catch that, that, that lightning in a bottle. Uh, and now we've got, what, four bad losses uh, plus whatever Kansas is. Um, I, was, I think Kansas is playing a lot better when Creighton played them than they are now. But um, it's just I, – I don't know what the solution is. I don't know what the answer is. They're in a tough spot right now. That being said, like – there's still however many games left here they can turn it around but the the longer they continue to struggle the the less likely um uh kind of a that coming out of the uh, that turnaround seems like uh maybe they just don't have it this year maybe for whatever reason um like i said there's so many factors impacting this team the season and everybody around the country is dealing with it and we 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 just can't know that as fans on the outside looking in. So it's just a tough spot. And I don't really know where they do go from here, but that being said, there's still, there's still a lot out there for this team. And like you said, everything is about March here. So they've got some time to figure things out, but they, they actually have to do to do the act of figuring it out. And they haven't done that so far. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, if I, I, I probably overreacted in saying they should take a break right now. <laughs> um, and you probably overreacted in saying they're close to the, or they're, you don't know what their resume is like. They're, they're comfortably in right now. There's a lot of teams that are just. But played, yes, they're comfortably in, but aren't very good. Like they could probably lose the next two Creighton could, uh, and not even like, kind of, then they'll probably be like, Oh, are they a bubble team? You know, with Villanova coming in, like that would probably start then. But you know, I'm just and I'm just trying to zoom out a little bit here, and it's like they have seven games left on their schedule that as as it shapes out right now. If they don't beat Villanova, they're three, they're three back. With, they're three back with seven to go. Yeah, that's the same. They're three back with seven to go with two still to come against Villanova. That is the same uh, deficit and games remaining as they had against Seton Hall with two games left to play against Seton Hall last year. So the path, although we've talked about how the team shouldn't be compared to itself last year the path is the same path that they yeah. walked that they walked last year to a big east title to march expectations so it's there um it's not but i do think when you when you look at it like they're gonna play marquette on saturday they're gonna play georgetown on tuesday and then villanova at home next well two saturdays from the, the 13th yeah. yeah the 13th um the saturday after this one coming up at, and then after that they're gonna get 10 days essentially um, between their net, like from Valentine's day till DePaul. I think they should take that. Cause I think you're going to walk through, you're going to walk through a stretch where you played starting on. They had the week off before Butler. So from that they played Butler then they played Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Georgetown, Villanova. Like, take the break. Like, don't try to – I don't even they, – they can't fill any games because they didn't play at MTE, so there's not – like, they can add some. But if the Big East is, like, tries to move people around, um, like, you know, it, like for teams that need to catch up on games, I would just – I would not, not be interested. Because I do feel like this team is – the team is flirting with burnout and I don't know. I know they get a free year, which is honestly the free year feels like the carrot as like the NCAA's carrot, like here, go through all this bullshit and we'll give yeah. you a free year. If you want to come back next year as 22, 23 year olds and not go on with your lives and make money overseas, we'll throw you this little it, carrot. It won't count as your eligibility. This year could be a wash. And I'm like, if this if year's your wash, schools want to pay if this for year's it. a wash, why are you scheduling it like it's not a wash? Like, give them yeah. longer breaks then. But yeah. no, we're, we're grinding them through a normal season in not a normal, under un, un, unusual circumstances. And I'm just like, is the juice worth the squeeze? I keep asking that. So anyway, I keep going back to this team's destiny is tied to March. Fair or unfair, that's what it is tied to. Um, and I think they're threatening with burnout mode if they don't get themselves an extended break here pretty soon because – there's going to be a lot of pressure on them, not only from not only internally from themselves, but externally as we're talking about it here, um, to start performing up to, you know, second weekend March levels, and I wonder how much that, how much damage that will do, um, to their psyche, uh, considering what they're already going through in that in that regard. So, I guess we were just thinking out loud for that segment, but we, we both kind of talked to each other. That's why we have guests because they can be reasonable where we're unreasonable. <laughs> Bouncing ideas off each other. Let's go into questions now because 
I want to get those out of the way because I do still want to touch on uh, some pink out emails that we got. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. Do you, uh, is that okay? Do you have anything left to say? Yeah. I no. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know I'm the conductor, but I want to give you your time. Um, I think I at least touched on most of the things that were bouncing through my head. Yeah. Um, our first question is from Joe Evans. Um, let's see. They didn't point to it. They didn't point it out on the broadcast, but I noticed on the replay the shot clock behind the basket was still showing one second when the FS1 graphic showed zero. Uh, that has to be the explanation. It's still a terribly rough game. So not really a question, more of a statement. But well, but um, so that whole situation yeah, we're confused, is but we're confused bizarre. about that too. Yeah, I don't be- know. this is such a weird game. So right off the bat, uh, there's a delay because they have to swap in a new ref right at the start, and because it's a remote broadcast, they never yeah. got the explanation for that. Uh, that so had, that, that had to be a testing yeah. issue, right? Like a, yeah. a contact yeah. tracing well, deal. Yeah. Or did like did he uh, like hurt himself, like warming up or something? Like at the last second, you would think like at that point, if it was a testing issue, the game would have been off. You would think, right? Mm. Uh, do you do you keep guys completely isolated from everybody involved until if, tip off? If it's not a positive test, if it's just a contract tracing contact tracing thing, I don't think you call the game off. Okay. I have no idea. There have, there, have been, there have been games in women's basketball where a ref has been removed at like halftime for contact tracing. That's weird. Yeah. Been, um, I think so. actually, I think it was Creighton UConn. Huh. Where the UConn and Seton Hall had just played, and one of the officials that was in that game refed that game. And then don't ask me why this made sense. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But like the so the official in the UConn game, UConn Creighton game officiated the UConn Seton Hall game and Seton Hall went on a pause like while that game was going on and so they pulled the official that was part of that game due to contact tracing but they didn't pull you but not the team right (laughs) (laughs) oh boy we really have right they didn't pull UConn for contact tracing issues after Seton Hall went on a pause but they pulled the official apparently with the I don't know what these connects on jerseys do Um, there must have been too much close contact with the positive cases from the Seton Hall side. Maybe it was like not player related. Yeah. Maybe it was coach related. Um, and the uh, officials were talking to him too much. I don't know how it was determined. All I know is they yanked a, an official that was part of, it might not even been the Creighton game. I know there was a UConn official that was removed from a game that UConn had also played in because the opponent from that game went into a pause and they pulled that official for a contact tracing issue, but not UConn. UConn played the rest of whatever game it was. And the official was removed at halftime. That's what I remember. What are we, what are we doing? I'm here? pretty sure anyway, it was um, in the same yeah. hall, but I don't remember so, exactly. Yeah. So the, the main point is uh, networks better not try to get cheap and stick with remote broadcasting as much as possible. After oh, the is, pandemic. That, is that your point? Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was one of my points because there have been so many issues this year watching games where the guys calling the game have no idea what's going on. It just makes for a terrible product. You know what uh, we so, can go back to on that? I don't know if you remember, but Creighton, Minnesota, second round volleyball match last year in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. They had a remote broadcast for that match. This is like pre COVID pandemic, yeah. they had a remote broadcast for that. So it was a cost cutting measure, like you're talking yeah. about here, where your, your eyes got all wide right there. You're like, don't do yeah. that. Yeah. They did that for the NCAA match last year between Creighton and Minnesota. And I don't know if anybody remembers, but. Megan Ballinger had like a heart issue or something oh. like that with her chest or whatever. 
and she had to go back in the locker room and get checked out. Um, and Kirsten Bernthal Booth had to like make a decision whether that was Ballinger okay. And was she going to play in the fifth set for her lineups to be right and all that stuff like that? Um, or was she done? Uh, and she wouldn't be able to play in the fifth set. So Ballinger comes running out of the locker room, good to go, cleared, ready to play and ends up finishing the match and all that. But the officials had no clue why Creighton was down one Oh, because of the delay game they took, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. So yeah. Creighton started the fifth set down one, nothing. And we never got an explanation for why, you know what I mean? As a fifth I, yeah, set, I was fo- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was so- following that on stat broadcast. Cause I couldn't watch it live. So uh, yeah, I had no idea all that happened, but so yeah, yes, so, that- that's a remote, that's, a, that's an issue a remote yes. broadcast has because they don't get an explanation in the arena. They're like, well, yeah, it's one nothing Minnesota and we're serving to start the fifth set. And we don't yeah. like, they're just like, they just, they just glossed over it. They didn't even tell us yeah. what happened. They just assumed it, we so, knew yeah. that, that was going on. Yeah. So we had the official at a uh, problem at the start and then at halftime they had, there was some kind of malfunction with the shot clocks. So they brought out new shot clocks. Yeah. And they did not do a very good job of explaining what the, the malfunction was, what exactly they were doing. Cause they didn't know either. They didn't know where they were putting the clocks or whatever. So I, so was the, so when you look at the, the clip of that banked in three, which what's that the third banked in three against Creighton, in that, that I can late recall. in close games, yeah, and they, but yeah, all David basically Duke, from David Duke, Javon Blair, and Jalen Wilson are the yeah. ones I can remember. Yeah, and they've all basically been from that left wing. Then obviously Denzel had his. Uh, I think it was maybe from the right wing. Uh, but didn't sorry. Christian Braun toss one into the shot clock to be the shot clock too? Actually, yeah, yeah. Oh, Braun did. I remember he yes. beat the shot clock yep. with a banked in three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Four. <laughs> Ban Banks. Uh, forget charges. Ban Banks. Ban um, Banks. Take the backboard away. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll trade that one Denzel make for the four times that it's cost Creighton. But so anyway, back to, <laughs> we've gone off all kinds of tangents here. But um, so you watch the clip of that the shot clock above the basket, it's still at one when he releases the ball. It doesn't turn to zero until the ball is out of his hand. So based on that, it looks like it's good, but. Was that the clock that was malfunctioning? Did they have, did they have the actual shot clocks down in a different spot as opposed to the ones? I don't know. We never got the explanation for what exactly they were doing with the shot clocks, what the the malfunction was, what what the deal was, because the one they showed on uh, the broadcast of the replay clearly showed that it's still on his fingers when it was turned to zero, but live the the only shot clock that we got to see still had one. So I, I have no, I, I have no clue what the explanation was. And then, so did they review it like quickly review it and then played on? Um, Cause if they did review, they went really quick. Um, Cause I had tweeted, Oh, yep. That's on his fingers. And then they're playing. I was like, wait, what? Cause they were just playing again already. And they yeah, counted the bucket super, and it was super bizarre. I don't know how to explain that situation. No. And that came were, right. They, they spent a few minutes reviewing whether the ball hit the shot clock or whether the ball hit the rim to reset the shot clock on that possession. Yeah. In general. I, so they already reviewed it something. And then they, and then 20 seconds later, uh, Georgetown's heaving the ball up again and uh, it goes in. But like you said, the shot clock that was um, on the top of the backboard was the one that was malfunctioning. Cause that thing was off the whole time. Right, but it was on there, and 
and you could see it counting the down. Shot, the only shot clock I see on is the one that's like on the behind the basket, which the players can't see. Well, it's the one above the the basket. Like you watch the clip uh, that the biggies tweet out, the one above the basket that is no, the one that you normally use there. Um, yeah, o- overhead of the backboard. That showed that still had one on the clock when the ball was out of his hand. Right. Um, but yeah, like it, were those the ones that were? Where did they? Where did they put the ones they brought out? Yeah. Uh, I have no and idea. if like what the one was that said zero? The one that said zero was an arena shot clock. On the yeah, because that's when they were because that's how it worked. When Raft, they, when Raft and um, yeah, they superimposed the yeah the clock on the broad. That's them sh- shooting the. Right. The, that's not that's like, not fs1's broadcast clock that's like no an in arena clock that they have a yeah they just superimposing the the image of that over the top right. of the, the replay and timing yeah. it up it should be timed correctly um so i don't know what where that shot clock was from versus the one over the basket i have no understanding of what happened or how they were able to review and call it good so quickly um and that, that's see and that's why we need one you need to be in the arena for these broadcasts as much as possible to explain that to the fans. The fact that we still don't know what happened there, that just can't happen for a spectator sport. Mm-hmm. And two, that's like, that's we need, like officials need to be more available for pool reporters and that type of deal. Like, it seems like it's super rare when you're able to get that. Like we need to hear from the, the process of how that was decided. Like we need the understand the explanation for that because it makes no sense for us watching at home how that how that played out with with the the issue the technical issues and the review and what they like after the game you should be able to go to an official and hear okay here's the process this is what we did this is how we how it played out like you should be able to get that explanation somebody should in the arena because um, it's really frustrating seeing at home not knowing what the heck happened on a key play of the game. And to be fair, Creighton was probably losing that game at that point anyway. Um, that it, They were already down six. They were down six at that point, and they weren't playing well on the other end. Like, the, the chances of them completing um, the, the comeback there were not high. So I'm, like, not – I'm not as, like, heartbroken or uh, broken up about that particular thing. I, I don't think that cost them the game. But it's just frustrating to have that happen and not have an explanation at that point in the game uh, for something like that happening. Yeah. I think – I don't even want to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> you went off there. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, it's hard, but it's hard to argue at the, the position you – the position Creighton put themselves in at that point, it's hard to argue about, like, you know, procedural issues. Is it – the, the issue that I have is like, this is big picture stuff. Like this has happened all year. Like why? Like these, these issues need accountability and they don't have any, it seems like. So yeah. I don't know. Um, this next deal is from, this is quite a loaded question here. Probably. Oh I'm not really sure we can answer it. Um, um, so uh, birds by design, believe it or not. This 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 question isn't about the players oh, okay, or okay. the game. It's about us as fans. I heard the student section was on their phones for the last minute of the game, and fans fans were shouting bad things, etc. I think we need to be better fans. Uh, what do we need to do to be better fans? I'm talking about anywhere in the stands, on Twitter, etc. I'm even guilty of ranting on Twitter, 
I feel like the support hurts the lack of support hurts the athletes. We have the fifth highest attendance in the nation, but it sure feels like quantity over quality. Uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't, um, neither of us were in the arena, so we couldn't really judge. Yeah. I didn't hear (laughs) the 1800 fans that were there. I didn't see the student section. I didn't hear anything bad, um, on the broadcast. Uh, I don't know. I mean, people just need to be better in general. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a tough question to answer because I don't know. We could we could go in a, different, a couple of different directions there. Crane's yeah, never I mean, had the most people, rabid fan base. Treat people, like, treat people right, I guess, is the best way I can yeah. say it. Yeah. Don't well, be assholes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm. Put yourself in their shoes and then yell at them and see how it feels. Like, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Just, just that's right. I, yeah. Again, with that's not being there, I don't know exactly what they had in mind when asking this question or targeting mm-hmm. is it are they saying we're not cheering loud enough like they're talking about the, the fans being on their phones or is it are they are the, the students or fans berating the play or were there boos or like what exactly I, 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 that are we talking about fans behaving badly or fans not giving enough support in terms of not being loud enough or is engaged as a crowd in big moments throughout the game whatever it is like i because those are separate issues. Like if, like, because Crane's never been the most rabid fan base, even with their numbers. Like they, there have been some really special environments at that place. But I think opposing fan or opposing from what we hear from like coaches or whatever, it seems like uh, um, opposing coaches have more respect for the environment at Creighton than a lot of like s- some of the fans here. Uh, I know I know there are a lot of like Creighton fans, kind of more diehard ones that um, are rarely happy with kind of the way that the Creighton crowd acts and it's just you can't really control the demographics of your crowd and kind of the setup all that that that's just kind of part of what the deal is but um, I I don't know that it's like there's anything necessarily bad about a Creighton crowd like it uh, I don't think Creighton has one of the absolute best consistently the best environments most rabid hardest to play in places in the country but it's Crane's had a pretty darn good home court advantage throughout their time at um, the now the CHI uh, Health Center, Omaha, um, whatever you want to call it. It's been through three, four different names here, and it's kind of been the same thing throughout. So um, never been the best, but always been pretty good, and the team's done well at, at home. So um, yeah, with not with not being there tonight and not being there for any of the games this season with crowds, it's hard to to really judge. Um, kind of what's going on right now. Yeah, I don't know if that had any effect on anything, but I'll keep my eyes open for that going forward. Uh, well, and I was it was Max saying earlier that or some or no, I think it was a different. Um, I don't think it was Creighton related, but I saw someone talking about yeah, actually it was the Suns just kind of missing the fans and how that is impacting the players, like not seeing the, the crowds there and in a long season that that's kind of who they play for and all that kind of stuff that does um, kind of have an impact. But then again, everybody's dealing with that this season. So I don't mm-hmm. necessarily, that's not a Creighton specific thing there. Yeah. Uh, it's something everybody's had to deal with this year. I mean, LeBron's getting them tossed out. So I don't know. Not everybody misses them. <laughs> um, <laughs> righteously tossed out. Uh, Jeremy Howard wants to know, um, I know it's tougher to play a small ball lineup this year with a true rotation at center uh, with CB and Kalk, but is it 
is that what is needed for this team to be better on O? It goes back to what we were talking earlier. Yeah. Um, who do you plug in to make that small That's ball? That's what lineup? I mean. There's not like you just don't have right. Last year, Ryan's Denzel better Mahoney than the was the sixth man of the year in the Big East, but you had Tyshawn Alexander, an NBA player, and as your starting two guard. So you don't, if you, you don't have that ability anymore to to be. You, they can play small, but they can't be last year small. So exactly, it's not like the, I. I think their best lineup has been on the floor most of the time. Yeah. I, I agree. Christian like, and Ryan have been pretty interchangeable in terms of their production for the most part. So yeah. the only guy you bring in for a change of pace, which is more defensive than offensive is with Sharif. But I think from an offensive standpoint, there hasn't been a whole big drop off between, you know, Ryan and Christian in terms of their production and the pressure they can put on the rim. So you get that already. I think your best offensive lineup has been on the floor for the majority of the minutes this year. I don't know if that's, yeah. that's not an issue. I don't think offense has been an issue for Creighton this year. Like they they, yeah. they haven't been as good as last year, but their offense has been good enough to win them most of the games they've lost. Butler is the is an exception. Um, and then what else am I thinking of? What what other game? What other game was their offense not good enough to win where they lost? They, uh, they, scored, they scored enough points. To beat, they scored enough to beat Kansas. They didn't hit enough free throws. That's not offense yeah, related. That's just shooting free. Well, yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> you shoot the ball. <laughs> but I mean, you can't. There's not any better. There's not like a. There aren't like ninety percent free throw shooters waiting their turn on the on the bench. Like so. That I thought their best offensive lineup has been. I don't think offense has been the issue this year. Yeah, they had fifteen, I, I, they had 15 turnovers tonight, so they weren't great offensively. Yeah. But it's, it's weird because they scored again. There, this from a turnover standpoint, this was their worst game of the year other than UConn in overtime, the first matchup. Um, but again, when you look at it, it's like they, they were, they should have won that game based on their offensive output if they were just better defensively. So I think what, what Creighton is looking for is not related to how much better they can be offensively. I don't know if they can be much better offensively. Can they, I mean, aren't they one of the best? Uh, like so sure. yeah, right now they are, after tonight, they're 10th or they're, yeah, they're 10th offensively in Kempom. Um, so, and I mean, they're... if you basically have like what one NBA player on your roster being 10th offensively in, in, in offense is pretty, you're pretty close to your ceiling there. Yeah. So they are three or 2.2 points per 100 possessions behind where they were last year. They were at 118.2 in adjusted offensive um, efficiency. Um, and last year, so that's, this year they were what? Yeah. So, yeah, last year they 118.2. This year, after tonight, they are 116 even. Um, yeah, that's pretty freaking good, guys. That's well, pretty good. That, like that's... That being said, like, you look at who's ahead of them. Like, they're quite a ways behind um, the, the top four. Let's see. Um, so, yeah, so – Yeah, so the, – the, Iowa's at 125.6. Yeah. Gonzaga's okay. at 124.7. Okay. Baylor's at 122.6. Yeah. Ohio State is at 119.7. Really? That's a new one. All right. And Villanova's at yeah. and Villanova at five is exactly what Creighton was last year at 118.2. Okay. Um, so I mean so well, I mean they're not they're, and, not they're not like the, Gonzaga and Iowa have a unique thing that a unique weapon that Creighton doesn't have. 
And that's just a deadly, unbelievably deadly inside-outside combination of players. So, yeah. Um, um, I don't so know. I, I think their offense is fine. I think that they, they've been through stretches where their offense has been costly, and it is some of that decision making, um, and they haven't shot but the ball as my well. My question is, my question uh, to that is, but has the stretches where their offense has been costly a result of the of the of them not playing great defense? And because, that's been part because, of it too. And because because if your offense is costly, can't you survive that if your defense is uh, more focused? You're paying attention to detail. You're doing the things that you hung your hat on last year from a scouting report start standpoint. If you're doing those things better defensively, don't don't doesn't that cover up for your mistake? Um, your mistake laden stretches of offense because again, when you look at the totality of the offense, which is what we have to do at the end of each game. They they should win. If you look at how they're, they performed offensively in their losses, they've done enough to win. Well, so the so Providence they scored seventy points. Um, come on, uh, Sports Reference is not. Uh, yeah, so they they scored seventy points against Providence. That's not where they want to be. Um, they scored 60, 66 against Butler in that loss in overtime. And yeah, that was, yeah. That, was that was a clunker offensively for sure. And they scored 72 against Kansas. So but they also I, scored 70 off. They also scored 70 against Providence and only six of that came like the first eight minutes. So again, I didn't think offense was the problem there. Well, their, but their defense at the end of the Nate, day, their defense against Nate Watson and how easy they made his night was the problem. The, the way they built their team, I think if you're in the low seventies, you're going to be probably be in a close game. That's yeah. just kind of the way their personnel is. So that, yeah, you, it could be enough to win, but that's not where you want to be. That's not where you're designed to be. So the fact that they scored 70 points made them susceptible to a loss. So in that regard, the offense was part of that, but the defense has slipped. Like it was, we talked to in one of these post game pods, I think it was after the, the scene hall game, Creighton was the best defense in the big East. And I believe they were 26th. Um, or something like that. I think they got up into the top 30 at that point in defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. They are they were 26, at, weren't they? Yeah. Um, so right now, after tonight, they've fallen to 59th, uh, 95.1. That's still two. Wow. Uh, that's still 2.2. <laughs> Wait, they've fallen, they fallen, they fallen to 59th in a basically yeah. a month, 30 spots in a month. Wow. Yeah. But they're still. 2.2 points per 100 possessions better than they were last year at the Seriously? end of last season. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. So they're, they're 2.2 possessions worse on that offense. One, that one does not and pass 2.2. Yeah. That doesn't translate for me because I haven't yeah. seen that in a while. Yeah. So their differential, uh, <laughs> their differential is, was, just barely slightly better last at the end of last year than it is right now. Um, you know so I they're want, basically, you know I, I wonder, I wonder if we can go back and like take uh, like mid February on huh. up until mid January this year and see what they were. I, I think I might do that tonight or whenever I, I don't know tonight, one o'clock in yeah. the morning. Uh, Cause I want to see how good they got defense. Cause it felt like they played really good defense from yeah that stretch of the season toward to what the stretch we're talking about there through that, through that Seton hall game. And it felt like that first game without Marcus against St. John's is where you were like, 
that didn't look good on that end of the floor. Um, and it, and I don't know if it has consistently since. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, that might be a well, sample I'm I'm gonna extract there and look at it a little bit. Yeah. So they're in. Okay, their losses. They've given up 73, 89, 70, 74, um, and tonight was 86. So only twice. So twice they've lost by giving up 80 plus. And 73 was against KU, and that was. The, yeah, the other they three played, they've they played, given up. I thought they, they played defensively, they were fine that game. They've given up 75 or less in three of their five losses. So I don't think we can pin this on the defense. I think really? offense, defense, I think it's just their overall play on both ends. I think there's stretches where their defense is fine, their offense isn't. Again, like I just said, they've given up less than 75 points in three of their five losses. Mm. They've given up 80-plus in two of them. So they've lost both ways, where they haven't been able to get stops and where they haven't been able to get buckets on offense. So well, it's you just know what's, Well, you know what's funny is like they, the, the, the games where they've been – criticized offensively have been games they've won most of the time. Butler is the only thing I only game I can think of where they've been Providence, same thing. Like they scored 70 points. Like that's Creighton scoring 70 points is a bad game. Flat out. Like that's that's just what it is. The way they built this team. I don't know if I want to say that. How many what was their what was their efficient how many point how many possessions was that game? I don't have the possessions. They let me let me pull it up. See. Only eight turnovers. They shot forty three percent from the field, four of twenty three from three. Yeah, that and, was, shooting wasn't great. And sixteen of twenty four. The shooting is offense. <laughs> well, shooting is that, shooting is part of offense. They were bad from the three point line, bad from the free throw line, and it cost them that game. They were at one point per possession against Providence. I mean, that's not good. Them. No, it's not. But they also allowed too many. Like their defense was terrible that game. Nate Watson didn't even have to dribble. I don't. I don't even know if I have my notebook for that. Like I don't even want to go back to that because we talked about it already. But like, let me see if I can find this thing. Yeah, Providence was five of eighteen from three in that game. Nineteen of twenty-six from the foul line, and they shot just under forty-five percent from the field, with twelve turnovers. Yeah, but Nate Nate Watson had 29 points and he was like just catching and dunking. Like he wasn't there. The the doubles were terrible. The the fight before letting him catch was terrible and all that. That was not okay. Fun. They didn't lose that what game because about- of offense. No way. I'm not letting you get away with that one. They lost it because of both. They didn't play well enough on either end. That's what I'm saying right now. It's not I'm not putting this on the defense, just the defense. I, I still think they played fine enough off of everybody else in that game. Everybody else they shut down outside of Breed, who I don't even know where the heck he came from. Like, okay, Duke, but that's 12 a, points on 11 yeah. shots. Nichols, 10 points on eight shots. Reeves, two points on eight shots. So they got um, 30 balled by Nate Watson. They got six points off the bench. Like, yes, they, they, they played really poorly defensively on Watson after defending him really well in the first game. I mean, but DJ, overall, DJ had 26 that game. Like, <laughs> no. The offense, is, no. the offense is the offense. The offense has like the offense has ma- made a lot of mistakes tonight that they can correct, but they didn't lose that game because of offense tonight. I don't they, know. I just feel weird talking about the offense tonight. Well, th- that's what I'm saying. Like tonight, it wasn't necessarily that they they weren't good enough to overcome what they were giving up. I mean, they were um, good enough to win the Marquette game offensively. They were good enough to win 
again, they were good enough to win the Providence game offensively. See that again, that's, we're kind of, we're not going to agree on this. Uh, I know, it, that's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, I don't agree with you. So let's move on. <laughs> Cause we are, we don't, I don't think we're going to find the common ground where the offense takes even equal the blame that the defense deserves. In my opinion, yeah, a, a 74, I, think, I, think 70... de- I think the defensive drop off is why we're having the conversation we're having up to this point about them getting burned out and everything. There's just far too, far too many mental mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. That isn't, that's not how they're built. They're built to be scouting reports sound because they don't have dudes who can just run out there and lock everybody up in one through five and rip off these huge, like just take over games. They, they, the, the mental they mistakes were just, they put enough together tonight to win. And in most of the games they've done that. However, you look at, there's a lot of a lack of focus and a lack of attention to detail, which is how they hung their banner last year on the defensive end of the floor. And that's where it begins and ends with me. Yeah. I, I think we'll let the, uh, we'll let the listeners decide wh- where they come out on this. Well, they like you better. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm there's a reason for that. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> wow. uh, Andrew Berkland wants to know. Uh, hey, Berkey. Yeah. More biggies in general question. Um, which program are you buying stock in for the next five years? Georgetown, St. John's, or Marquette? Ooh. That's a pretty good question. I I was buying stock in St. John's this year, and I, I think Jacob and Ravi owe me an apology after tonight. If I can get one, I need it after tonight before they turn into St. John's. Again. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's the key point there. Yeah. <laughs> I have to claim my prize while it's while I'm eligible for it. Okay. (laughs) God. (laughs) Cause I did think they were, I mean, they were picked ninth in the preseason. I was like, what, why that's, I mean, Mike Anderson has normally been a pretty good coach and I think they've got a lot of pieces. So yeah, I want my, I want my, uh, I want my credit for the hate I got for thinking St. John's was going to be good this year. Um, Cause right now they look good and I don't know when that's going to end. So I need to I need to get my I need to claim my prize at, at the at the window, please. Well, so um, right off the bat, I think part of the part of the reason they look as good as they are is Marquette has been bad, and let's uh, let's kind of oh, yeah. cross let's, them off. Yeah, the list about, right I know. Yeah, you said the yeah. schedule. I you told me the schedule was a factor. I agree, but they played Villanova tonight, so that washed no. that out. You know what I'm saying? No, what I'm saying is part of the reason that they're where they are in the conference in the middle of the pack is because a team like Marquette has been terrible and hasn't been as good as they should have been. And with Wojo in charge, it's hard to have uh, confidence in them getting it turned around. How good should Marquette be? You got uh, DJ Carton and Dawson Garcia. Those are two really good talents to kind of build around. You've got upperclassmen in McEwen. Agreed. Agreed. I know know where you're going. Agreed, agreed, agreed. However, like, there is a, there is someone orchestrating all of that who I feel like and, is the reason that they don't have a high ceiling, in my opinion. And that's my point. Like, you can't. So how take, good should they be? Yeah, when they, that's, their talent, their roster should be better than the results have been, and it's because of the guy in charge. And that's why you can't take Marquette of these three teams moving forward because oh, who knows yeah. how long that guy's going to be in charge. For sure, that's yeah. what I was saying. Like right off the bat. It's it's gonna be Georgetown or St. John's. Yes. <laughs> it's not, yeah. Even though I, I think, think I actually think it's Georgetown. 
So I think they do recruit pretty well for Patrick Ewing. And honestly, they're, they're pretty salty. Like every, well, year. so do they have a really good class coming in? I'm trying to remember. They've got one um, five-star coming in. next Yeah. Year. I, so, so the, the key is whether that, whether or not Ewing has kind of figured out the issues that led to the program falling into the hole that it fell into where yeah. uh, it was poor evaluation, poor kind of whether picking the wrong kids, not being able to build up the relationship with the kids to keep them there. Like it was his roster management was a mess. And that's why they fell to the bottom of the conference, even though he showed it looked like you were a big fan of him early on, like his actual coaching chops. I like um, his I know coaching had, chops. I don't know the fan did, of the timeouts. Did, did you and Robbie like, ever have that uh, that that, uh, <clears throat> that 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 bet? Did that get paid off at some point? You and Robbie the, had. What was the bet? There was something with Ewing involved with Ewing getting a couple wins, or like there was something with you running a oh, mile or, where they wouldn't. Okay. Yeah. Where they wouldn't win the game. The rest of the conference players, something like that. Something, something like, yeah. I, yeah, I believe well, you bet off, on you. He, he you offset it because he didn't think the Rockets were going to make the playoffs last year. So that's he, right. okay. He ruined that for himself because he went way over the top on, on Russ Harden hate. So I was able to dig myself out of a hole by capitalizing on that. But yeah, yeah I'm a fan of, I like Ewing as a coach, like X's and O's and in terms of what he can teach for, from a skill standpoint, especially with big men. Um, the timeouts are weird to me. He calls weird timeouts. Like he burns those things. Like, I don't know if he doesn't know how many he has or what, but every game he uses a weird, weird tonight. He used two tonight. He called a timeout when Creighton was up nine, seven in the first half. And then he, he called did. another timeout when, when his team was up 29, 24. So I'm like, what, why are you doing that? And I don't think either in either case, the timeout stopped a whole lot. Cause That's... I pretty sure like Creighton, built the lead from the first one and closed the gap on the second one. So I don't know yeah. if well, one was particularly effective, but. And, and that's what I kind of pointed out during that CN Hall comeback where Mac did use timeouts to try to stop a run in the first half. It didn't work. In the second half, they were out of timeouts and they completed the comeback without timeouts. So yeah. Yeah, timeouts <laughs> like, don't stop runs. So establish this, that. This is a, this is a podcast that is pro letting them play. Yeah. And there, there are absolutely spots to use a timeout and sure. perhaps Mac could be a little quicker on the trigger in some of those, but ultimately it's going to come down whether the guys have it or not. Can you fix what you're doing wrong? Right. Can you go out and make the next play? And uh, what the timeout itself has no magical mm-hmm. value that suddenly makes you better at basketball. I mean, you can honestly, point out you got, what you, you need to, read, to do better, but. You have to yeah. read body language and then yeah. like what do you what exactly are your mistakes that you're trying to stop right there? Like how much of yeah. it is correctable by burning the timeout and talking to guys versus how, how much, much of it is, is how yeah. much of it is one guy screwed up his assignment, the other four will tell him that he screwed up the assignment in 30 seconds yes. on their own. Like just you know, how much is it missing timeout to tell them to talk about that? Yeah. How much is it missing three good looks in a row versus how much of it is turning the ball over at half court? And giving them a run out layup three exactly. times in a row. Exactly. Like then, yeah. yeah. Call a timeout on that. If you get if you feel like you're getting good looks and they're not falling, you're not gonna shoot better because you call the timeout. Right. Like if you're executing, the guys just have to actually make the shot. Mm-hmm. And if they are kind of like start, it, it is getting into their heads, then yeah, maybe you can give it a try. But anyway, um, I yeah. think we made that clear. We don't need to, but so yes, <laughs> no, uh, St. John's St. <laughs> John's or Georgetown moving forward. What yeah, was the I think I'm saying yeah. I, I honestly I'm high on St. John's. Next this five year. years. Yeah, I'm high on St. John's this year. 
But if I'm taking five years, like I think Georgetown will probably uh, be better over the next five years, marginally. Yeah. Like I think St. John's will be good, but Georgetown will be really good. How long is Champagne going to be at St. John's? That's like well, a lot of what they're doing right now is like uh, Posh Alexander's. Yeah, Posh is good. A really good freshman. And he's the kind of guy that will, that should be there for uh, three, four years or whatever. Um, Champagne, he's probably going to be able to have an opportunity to make a jump here uh, pretty quickly uh, if he keeps up putting up the numbers he does. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think. I haven't looked at what St. John's has coming in as a recruiting class next year. Um, I think I'd probably take Georgetown here um, just because what I've seen so much of St. John, like over the last eight years, whatever it is, like I, it's just hard to buy it and have faith in that. And Mike Anderson's done a good job, but we'll, we'll see. I think I'll take Georgetown with what Ewing's uh, got coming in and the fact that it is Georgetown and he can hopefully use that to continue to, kind of leverage getting the recruits there and um, who he is. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll go Georgetown, St. John's, and Marquette in that order in the next three years, mostly because I think Marquette should. The, so either they should have a, um, a coaching change where they have to start over or they're going to keep continuing to go with what doesn't work. So um, and in which case I wouldn't have any faith in them for things clicking there either. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my order. Georgetown, St. John's and Marquette for gotcha. the next five years. Yep. I think I agree. Um, let's try to rip through these a little quicker. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas <laughs> Winninger uh, wants to know last year, I felt, I feel like we exploited traditional fives when we went small and ran teams out of the gym. We don't seem to try that anymore. Is that true or am I mistaken? Did we answer this already? No. We didn't talk. About we talked about ball. we talked. No, we talked about small ball, not about running them off the court. Um, oh, the other question was about well, with playing. Small, yeah, going yeah. small and running teams out of the gym is what he said, though. That was his question. Well, he, there is no going small here. It's just running. Uh, or, okay, went small. Yeah, uh, but again, mm. um, exploiting traditional fives. Is, yeah, yeah. Christian I mean, is yeah. So. Christian is a non-traditional five. Small ball and can, five, yeah. and can run other fives out of traditional fives out of the gym. I mean Georgetown just like they they just they just have lots of them. So, so they didn't well, really get tired tonight. That that rotation was pretty good and they were pretty effective. So yeah. It it, it, it honestly might have wore into Christian more than anything because well, I, um, I there wasn't was, a there wasn't a really an effective reserve for him to put in that spot. I mean Kaufman yeah. struggled, so it was Christian himself essentially tonight. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And he played 31 minutes um, yeah, and you don't really have, there's not going small. Again, we've established that there isn't a five man lineup that doesn't involve Christian Bishop. Um, that is, go, that would do what, what last year's small ball yeah. lineup will do. It just, it, and, it's not there. Don't look for it. And actually they had him with a uh, 14 fast break points tonight. Um, even though that's a stat that it, is very inconsistently kept, um, but they had. It seemed like they did score in transition a bit this year, like it, it or this game. But a lot of you got to play defense to be able to push the ball. Um, if, if you're running against a set defense and all you're like, you're not really gaining an advantage that way. So it's got to be uh, one. You got to you got to get stops. You got to get rebounds, uh, and 
creating exploiting small, uh, traditional fives wasn't all about um, running the floor and beating them down the court. They did that a few times a game, and okay, they warmed down a little bit, so you had to sub them a little bit more. But they take advantage of fives in the half court. Uh, it's as much as uh, taking advantage of them in the half court as it is um, uh, by running the floor, and that's getting switches and they're, they're pick and roll offense and all that kind of stuff. And I think part of it is how physical teams have been able to be with Marcus Zagorowski this year. There aren't a, he doesn't consistently come clean off of picks. There's somebody draped on him every time, whether they're double teaming him and forcing him out, uh, blitzing him on the, on the screens, or if the guy's able to get over the top and stay with him, it, it, they're just so physical with him that he doesn't come off clean. And even in this game, we didn't get, we went through a long, Christian got off to a great start early. Then, like I said, started the second half. They, he went a long time without even touching the ball, really, around the basket. They didn't get any flip-up opportunities. And then they got – when they made that last run, um, when Christian scored five straight, finally, there it was. Um, they got a couple – they were able to come up, clean off the screen, uh, get downhill, and then make a play. Um, so it, it's not even – it's not all about pushing the pace um, when we're talking about exploiting traditional fives it's about making them defend in space within the half court and that's something they're going to have to continue to, to to find ways to be a little bit more consistent with and it, uh, part of it might be just that they go as christian goes because there aren't a, a lot of other guys that can take advantage of those mismatches in the same way or even get the get that opportunity uh this question this next question will go right in line with that one um in different direction though uh, JB Davis wants to know, should Creighton have considered playing Bishop and Kalkbrenner together to counter Georgetown size advantage? Funny story about that one is uh, Creighton announced their starting lineup, which was the traditional five, Marcus, Denzel, Mitch, Damian, and Christian. And then the stat broadcast threw Ryan Kalkbrenner in there for Mitch for like <laughs> five minutes or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe Stat Broadcast <laughs> considered it, but it was eventually changed back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like the again, when the two big lineup conversation comes into play, you have to figure out what's going on at the four spot because it's not about what you're putting in at the five. Christian and Ryan can both play the five um, in in Creighton's system perfectly. Yeah. Uh, it's what you're doing at the four. How much of a wrench are you throwing into things when you put Christian at the four versus Damian Jefferson at the four? Like what, what is that? What's your, so where are you putting your, Christian on offense yeah. when you, when, if you go with two bigs, where are you putting him on the floor? Right. And um, what will the defense do to react to that? Like, are you going to put him in the dunker spot? while you're setting the ball screen? Like there are teams that do that with the two bigs. You, you kind of run it that way. Um, you could try that, but uh, Creighton thrives on spacing. That's that's how right. they operate, right. and you're just not going to get good spacing when you have both those guys out there. And then also, Christian excels at one using his quickness advantage against bigger fives, and two yep. in that traditional five man role where he's yep. setting the screen, rolling, and catching lobs. Yeah, because they can't what, def- what did- they can't defend him at that spot. What advantage does he have when he's being guarded by a 6'8", 235-pound guy? Um, and like, what are you doing with him on offense? 
on offense. And if he's the one setting the screen, again, where, are you putting Ryan in that, that dunker spot or whatever? And then mm-hmm. a little bit easier to help there. Like, I, yeah, I, that's the thing. Cause tonight, you're yeah. asking in terms of tonight, Pickett, Belay, those guys can guard him at that spot. And Belay is six, seven, and uh, listen at six, seven, one ninety four. Like right. he shouldn't like in Wahab, Christian out, uh, outscored Wahab. So right. it wasn't like right. uh, they got dominated there. It was 14. Christian had 14. Wahab had uh, 12. Belay had 17. Um, and DJ had seven. So like that's kind of – that's one spot where you kind of lost out on, on the matchup there. And it wasn't like Belay is 6'10 out there. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's not big enough he's that – DJ's size, yeah. Yeah. He's got a couple of extra inches on him. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think this was a case where – Oh, it's because Creighton was too small. I don't think they worked hard enough. I don't think they played smart enough. Yeah, um, they didn't get prevent, murdered on the yeah. glass today. But it was just like yeah. when they gave him up, it was costly. That's Second what I mean. Points that's with, the yeah. attention to detail stuff we're talking about. And they that's what they I – They didn't yeah. – they were not over – they have not been overmatched except for UConn and Providence. They have not been overmatched yeah. to the point where you're like, they probably need to throw a bigger lineup on the floor in order to match up with that part of the game. But in in even in that – UConn and Providence are losing out on what Creighton puts on the floor with their five. Creighton, Creighton, UConn and Providence can't match that. So it's like a battle of like who makes the difference. Yeah. So, so tonight back- it wasn't about that. Creighton didn't get overmatched at the fi- at the four and five spots. They were they were matched up perfectly fine to win that game. They just didn't play better than Georgetown did. Georgetown was plus two on second chance points and plus two in the paint. That's all. Yeah, it's basically right. a wash. Yeah, it's a wash. So, um, it yeah. So it, it wasn't. They normally the normally in situations like that when when Creighton can wash second chance points and points in the paint, they win by fifteen or twenty. Yeah, yeah. The problem is they gave up ten threes. <laughs> right. They what, were they eight to twelve in the first half. Um, Pickett and but, Blair were nine for fourteen, and coming into the coming into the game in Big East play, they had hit twenty three out of seventy seven. So they went from thirty percent. They went from thirty percent shooters to like seventy percent shooters from three. And part of that was Creighton gave him a lot of open looks. Like that's on Creighton, and you you got to find the balance between yes, we want you to take these shots, but we want you to take a shot with a hand in the face. Um, they were too late on a lot of their shots, and especially after they got hot. Um, so that, just get that out of the way. Yes, part of it was Creighton's defense, but also they hit at a ridiculous rate. Um, but think back to the Seton Hall game. The first one where Kevin Willard changed his lineup to mm-hmm. try to match up with Creighton mm-hmm. because he didn't think they could compete doing what they do. Which he was right. They got run off the floor either way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Second game, he, was, he, was he came right, back and he was right. Yeah. Counts. Yeah. <laughs> but second game, he came back and played his lineup. He didn't try to match up with Creighton and they did better. So I, I'll never, you don't, if you believe in what you do, you're better. You have a better chance of winning that way versus trying to match up with your opponent and trying to play their way. Yeah. And especially a team like Creighton that has such an established identity that they built up this program to play in such a way. Um, they're not a team that has a lot of versatility, lineup versatility. They play the way they play, and so you just have to play, do what they do well. Uh, and most of the time, that'll that'll be enough to get the win. Tonight, they didn't do it well enough. Yeah, are you clicking? Are you clicking a pen? Uh, I don't think so. I, I might have been like tapping hear, my computer or something. Oh yeah, I hear pounding the, pounding I hear, the table over here. Yeah, every pounding time you, the table over every here. Every time you're talking, I hear this clicking. I'm like, what is that? Sorry. 
That's all good. Um, I don't even know how to say this name. Leopard. Brendoge. Leprechaun, Brendoge, Leprechaun. Um, uh, Jays are two and four versus the bottom five of the Big East. Why do they struggle against bad teams? I, is it okay to disagree with the second part without dismissing the eh. first? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if they. I. I just don't know. I, honestly, the difference between bad and good in this league isn't all that anymore because I don't know if there's a. You know, normally if a if a team in the Big East is great, they're usually a national title contender. I don't know if Villanova is like let's just say Villanova is the best team in the league. I don't know if they're great this year. And and I'm measuring that against what I've seen as greatness nationally, which is, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor, right? Michigan. Like so, I don't know. No, so I'll put it. <laughs> Looking at the conference stand headings into tonight, these haven't been updated. Creighton had losses against one, two, three, four of the bottom five teams in the Big East standings. Yes, that's accurate. Right. So, so, that's, so they that's are, like, yeah. So, but I mean, they're struggling lot, with the worst teams in the conference. But is there a lot of separation between good and bad in the Big East this year? Like, there's enough for them for their records to be bad. There's enough for them to be in the so. There's enough for George- Georgetown was two and five before this game in big in Biggie's play. The Paul was one and seven is one and seven now, including the. Well, I think we can, I think we can agree that DePaul is a bad basketball team always. Yes. Like that's, that's an annual annual analysis there. Butler is four and eight in conference play. Marquette is five and seven in conference play. So like they're they're bad enough that other the other teams are beating them at enough of a rate to keep them in the, the bottom half of the conference. So whatever the, the kind of gap is. Yeah, but is, hold, on, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, though. Isn't it the same teams, though? They're, they're all beating each other because Villanova hasn't played anybody. Xavier hasn't played anybody. UConn's ba- played barely anyone. Like, isn't everyone kind of in that in a round-robin sort of mode so far? Because that's what I mean. Is there a whole, like, is there a whole lot of separation right now between teams? Like, look at the teams who have played uh, double-digit games. Like, just isolate those. And tell me how much separation you think there are between those teams so far. Well, but no, you're right. So they're uh, three through nine. So just look at the standings heading into tonight. Again, I haven't these updated. Third place had four wins. Fourth place had five wins. Fifth place had six wins. Sixth place had five wins. Sixth had five wins, five, four. So like they're all somewhat similar. The, the difference is the losses. Butler has eight losses. Marquette has seven losses. Um, Providence at six, Saint so I yes, there's not a ton of separation, but also I don't think Creighton should struggle as much as they have uh, against these teams. Like, yeah. there is like th- they are underperforming in those games, um, that they've had. And again, it's not they're not losing to UConn and uh Nova and Xavier either. They're losing to DePaul and Providence or right. uh, Butler and Providence. Yeah, and you, you wouldn't think you wouldn't think in a year where they, I guess, where you look at the standings and you go, Creighton is what to five and zero against. Th- oh wait, no, it's seven and zero, right? It yeah, it's seven and zero against three, four, and five. Is it not? Yeah, yeah. So or, they're. Am I doing the math right on that? Three, four, five, six. They beat UConn twice. They beat Seton Hall twice. They beat St. John's twice at six and zero there, and they beat Xavier once, right? Yeah. 
So that's seven yeah, so that's and seven and oh against three through three, six. Three through six. <laughs> yeah, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just like the the um kind of how what they're struggling with right now with the being locked in every game and um being up for every single game on the schedule. And we don't know kind of what the wear and tear is. We don't know this their mental state right now. And a lot of it could be that where like, man, just not feeling it this day. And um, hopefully uh, we're better. We've got enough of the talent edge that we can get through this, even though it kind of feels like a slog right now. And sometimes that has been the case. Sometimes it hasn't been. It just seems like they just have not been able to get towards the top and they haven't been able to approach their ceiling very consistently this season for whatever reason. And um, they've been struggling. Sometimes it's offense. Sometimes it's defense, as we talked about. Sometimes it's this overall focus on both ends. Like, yeah. I don't know. They just haven't been able to bring their A game every single I'm game. Just, I'm just thinking back, and it's like, if you told me they were going to go seven and one against preseason, you told me Creighton's going to go seven and one against UConn, Providence, Seton Hall, and St. John's. That's like a group of teams I felt like was all top half. Yeah. So I was like, if you told me before the season, Creighton's going seven and one against that grouping. I'm just like 16 or 18 and two, essentially. Like if they play 20, yeah. like that's going to be, they'll roll to a title. So yeah, yes. there, there is something there. Like, and that's why it's yeah. disappointing where they're at right now. Yeah. That actually makes sense. And now I get it. I think I understand the the question better now after, after I look at it like that, like they're, they're they are extremely disappointing when you think yeah. about how they've, how they've kind of like shot themselves into chasing Villanova when yes when because when you look at who they've already eliminated from catching them in the standings uh theoretically they should be Villanova should be chasing them exactly so, so yeah That's, that makes a lot of sense and it's okay like you lose one of these games it's a conference it's it's a it's the Big East conference that's going to happen you're not yeah. going to sweep the conference every year Right. The fact that they've lost four of them now. Well, the, the fact that they're different. underwater against them, not just yes. four, but like underwater. Like they've, they've, yes. They're two games under. That's, yeah, that's not, there is no really explanation for that other than yikes. Yeah. So I, again, I don't know what it is. I don't, whatever it is that's holding back this team, it seems to hit more in uh, those games. It seems like they've been able to get themselves up outside of the first half. Uh, again, the, the first half of that Seton Hall game wasn't the case. So maybe it isn't good teams versus bad teams. It's just kind of the luck of the draw at this point. Some days they have it, some days they don't. Um, I, I don't really have the answer, but um, unfortunately they haven't been able to muster enough of, uh, again, haven't been able to reach their ceiling enough times to have the record we thought they could. And it's cost them against those teams because like you said, they're good enough to beat you if you give them that opportunity and Creighton's given too many teams that opportunity this year to beat them. Right. Um, let's see. But again, this team's destiny is tied to March. I can't stop forgetting it. Yes. Like it all gets a, no one, no one, everybody like eliminates the stress. If they just, if Creighton goes to the sweet 16 this year, but you also I, can't opinion, expect my... them to, you also can't expect them to flip a switch once we get to March and then suddenly. Yeah, it's hard to like, you've got it's to, hard to be like, hey, there are Sweet 16 teams still. That's like almost like blind hope. You got to start building a, yeah. up towards it. Yeah. yeah you got to start exactly. seeing like, okay, I see it now. Well, I see where they're headed. That's and, why I said give them a break so they don't burn yeah. out. 
Because they burn well, out, and they burn out by the time they get to March. Then, and everyone's going to be flipping their lids for the next until the next season, essentially. Oh, two big things. One, we haven't uh, we haven't seen them peak too early because they haven't peaked oh, yet. Well, uh, unless we're, unless we're talking about that one Seton Hall game as their peak, and that's it. Right. It's like <laughs> <laughs> uh, they hopefully the their peak is more of a plateau than uh, one little tiny uh, one game. But right. on the other hand. Saint, uh, we're it looks scary, but they managed to avoid the the injury to this point that the catastrophic injury. Um, who, I think we all had that feeling when DJ went down and as much pain as he looked to be in at the time. They're like, "Are you kidding me? Not again!" But he ba- he went back out there and finished the game. So he hopefully did. that. But uh, but if I'm so hopefully if I'm, if I'm reading that. ankle injuries correctly, I don't think he'll be very ready to go against Marquette. Normally those things get worse after the adrenaline wears off. <laughs> so yeah, that's I'd expect an uphill that, battle. That, that is an, very true. That, I would expect an uphill an battle from an athleticism standpoint on Saturday. Not to not to like give not to kill everybody's hope, but that might be a tough one. <laughs> because I don't I just don't that seems like a really tough injury and I don't know how he's gonna recover from that that quickly anyway. Um, I think that's it for our questions. Yeah. So what? I, how I wanted to wrap this up tonight before we were going to get into questions. So I hope you're all still listening because I wanted to read some pink out emails. Um, uh, well, I guess first of all, Jacob, not to put you on the spot, but do you have a perspective on this that you'd like to share or do you just want me to jump into this? Yeah, I, I don't really have any great story. I'm sure the, the emails you got are better than mine. I, I lost a cousin, but um, that was when I was really young. Um, to leukemia um that's kind of the i guess the closest to home it hits like um but so yeah just go ahead go ahead with the the emails and um all that i i just want to say how how cool it how cool this thing is every year and what mac has built it up to and that is a huge testament to him and the creighton community yeah no uh sorry about your cousin first of all but yeah it's just like one of those years where if you i don't know if it hits people it's tough for me because I've had my, some people know this because I talked about it before, but my mom had, had breast cancer when I was, I think I was 10. Um, so I've like, I've, you know, I've seen what it does and I've, we've gone through it as a family. So I don't know if this pink out game hits me different because of that experience. Like I actually don't know if, I mean, I've talked about this before, but I, every single notebook i kind of carry around with me and write notes in going back every year i've covered creighton back to 2012 so um has been a breast cancer notebook because my mom bought me a bunch of them when i was starting to do this so i have like a bunch of breast cancer notebooks and i've always so i always kind of carry that 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 memory of what she went through with me every single day that i do this so um it's it's part of me 24 7 365 um, and then the peak out game comes around and it just like, I don't know, it just hits different. It, you think about all those, you know, all those days where it was really hard, where you couldn't even see her cause she was too sick to be around people. Um, she survived luckily, you know, fortunately I'm glad I still have her in my life. So, um, it's not, it's not, it didn't have a bad ending to it. But I just like I don't know. Whenever that whenever that moment comes in those pink out games, it's just like it just hits you different. You feel really emotional. You think about people you have lost in your family to cancer, 
but you also look around the arena and it just feels really somber. Like everyone who is standing is appreciative that they are able to stand up for somebody. And there's also a sense of like, there's just, you feel pain because there are some people who are holding placards of people who don't, who aren't with them anymore. And that's kind of sad. And, um, the big game, I don't know. It just, it just provides that moment for everyone to, I just think in that moment that no one has any differences at that point. And it's kind of, it's kind of beautiful in that way because we're all on the same page, you know, wherever we come from, whatever we think on a a regular basis in that moment, it feels like we're all truly feeling the same type of emotion. And we all have, we all can empathize with each other. And I think that's, I don't know. That's kind of beautiful to me when I think about it. So we reached out to all of you. Um, if you were open to doing so, we uh, kind of provided a platform for you to just um, say what the pink out game means to you. What those, how, how many minutes does it last when they stand up under 12? What is it like four, three, four minutes or whatever? Um, a typical media timeout what those three, four minutes mean to you. So um, we did get, uh, you know, quite a few responses and some of them were pretty heartfelt. So I just wanted to read a couple here to uh, wrap up this podcast. Um, and before I do so, because we won't close it out in normal fashion, we are compiling all of these responses that we got into a post on whiteandbluereview.com. Um, I do believe Darren Boudreau has already posted that out for all of you to see. So check that out. Um, you know, either tonight, tomorrow, whenever you're uh, free to do so, because I, you know, reading all of these, you know, it just hits you pretty good. Um, you kind of gain a little bit perspective on as we sit here bitching about basketball, how little it truly matters, um, both in the terms of importance, but also how it can bring people together. Uh, so like, I don't know, I'm rambling here, but let me just get into them. Um, this first one is from Scott Strunk. I apologize ahead of time if I'm mispronouncing names. I'm going to try my best here. Um, so his story, he offered some pictures too, which is just like, it's just heartbreaking because his little man looks like his little son uh, had cancer. Um, and you look at these pictures and it's just like, gosh, man, sucks that kids have to go through that. But his story is uh, this game has always meant a lot to us in the whole Omaha and Creighton community. It is an amazing time to come together to raise awareness of cancer and to all stand up together in this fight. Uh, Thanks to our fellow season ticket holder that sits next to us and has become a great friend to our family. It has meant even more. Three years ago, my son was diagnosed with cancer. While it is incredibly hard to hear that your two-year-old has cancer, we use this to strengthen our family and really have met so many great people as a result. The support we have received has been tremendous. I am extremely happy to report that my son has been in remission for over two years now. I think our shared story on here then, uh, I think we share our story on here then, but the above mentioned season ticket holder wrote a message to Bruce Rasmussen, who reached out to offer us a great night sitting with the Creighton team um, behind the scenes tour of the media and locker room and even hearing uh, that coach McDermott used my son during a speech as motivation for the team that night brought tears to my eyes. Um, and then he sent us a bunch of pictures uh, from 
that game two years ago against Butler. So uh, that one's pretty touching. And you'll find that one on on our website as well. Um, sorry if I'm starting to bust up a little bit here. I'm going to try to keep it together as I read these again. They hit me pretty good when I read them the first time, and I was hoping that would do the trick as, as I could read them on the podcast. So I apologize for Jacob for sitting here through this as I try to get through these. Um, the second one's from that I want to read is from John Bishop, obviously the play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays. Actually, this story was also told last year on last year's Pink Out Game podcast. So if you go to back to our Blue Jay Beat podcast from the Xavier game last year, John tells this story because I actually had him on for uh, the post-game analysis for that one. So both he and I talked about what the Pink Out Game means to us. So you got to check that out. Um, and hear his his uh, his backstory on um, what I'm about to read to you here in a little bit, uh, a little bit of that story anyway. Um, and he starts his uh, post with, every year I feature three people on my I stand for card at the pink out game. The first one, uh, Christian is my son. He's now 17. He is a leukemia survivor. So what Jacob just talked about, um, the cousin he lost to leukemia. That's what John's son went through. Um, in fact, the day we found out about the illness was the same day I was officially offered the job to become Creighton men, uh, Creighton's new men's basketball radio announcer. So that's a day he'll never forget. And again, he explains that more in detail on last year's podcast. So I'll try to pop that one back up so everyone can get a full picture of what that day was like for him. Um, Piv is, of course, our dear friend Steve Pivovar. Uh, that baseball, that orange baseball that we passed around around the College World Series time, um, which was an effort spearheaded by his children, still travels in the radio case with me. I believe John posted it tonight again uh, when we were allowed to travel to every Creighton game. And then Michael Tolato is a friend we discovered on Facebook when my son was sick. He was a little boy from Florida who was ravaged by cancer and other issues due to his compromised immune system. Thanks to some friends in Philadelphia, he and his parents were able to move there for the special treatment he required. Four years ago, when CU was visiting Villanova, I got to meet Michael and his family. He was a great little kid with a special spirit. Sadly, he passed away a few short months later. Um, But I believe John posted a picture of uh, Michael tonight along with um, his son Christian and the and the baseball he still carries around for Piv. Um, and I wanted to read one more before we moved on. I, again, I, I wish I could read all of these, but we got so many that I think I'm just going to divert you to the website, which we posted all of them on there again. Um, this last one I wanted to read was a little bit of insight into um, the process that goes into pink out game and actually what it does um for the community not it's not just like a one-time event it actually you know obviously raises money for the fight against cancer um and i again i apologize if last names i'm getting incorrectly getting incorrect here but this is from david jokel um see as someone who works for the american cancer society here in omaha i wanted to share how this effort by creighton university its coaches players and fans affects real patients 
Many are aware, but many are not, that this pink out game and fundraising supports the American Cancer Society Hope Lodge facility here in Omaha. Hope Lodge is a home away from home for cancer patients who must travel and utilize long-term lodging while they receive cancer treatments. Most of these guests are accompanied by a caregiver, friend, or family member who can stay with the patient throughout the stay. The best part, it's free to the patient and the caregiver. Regardless of any ability to pay, the Hope Lodge is 100% free. We've had patients who have stayed three, six, even nine months at various Hope Lodge facilities, and all because of donors. Um, The financial burden of a cancer diagnosis only compounds the emotional toll it takes on a patient and their family. So it's important for Pink Out Game fans to realize that by donating and supporting the American Cancer Society, you're supporting the opportunity for a patient to receive treatment that they may have otherwise declined due to the cost of travel and lodging. And we know that when patients have access to good health care, their chances of early detection and survival are so much higher. The American Cancer Society funds life-saving research, almost $800,000 right here in Nebraska, provides rides and lodging through Hope Lodge and partner hotels, and has services available in every community 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So donate to remember someone you've lost, donate to honor someone you know that's battling cancer, and donate to help people in your community that you might never, you may not, might not ever meet, excuse me. You are truly making a difference. Thank you for taking up the fight with us. Um, and that's from David Jopel. Um, so yeah, I just, I wanted to wrap up that because I felt like that tied it all pretty, pretty well together. Um, like I said, uh, I have a story about it. Um, you all have stories about it. It means a lot. And uh, I just think it's, you know, as we sit here and, spend 90 minutes breaking down what's wrong with the Jays basketball team. Um, Don't forget to appreciate what you can appreciate in life too. Um, As much as a sports sports team might stress you out at times. um, There are other things to appreciate. And, you know, sometimes I've read, I read enough of these ones today and yesterday that of people who lost, uh, loved ones to this disease so and they were missing the fact that they were not going to be able to appreciate this moment in this pink out game with those people so um, life is fleeting cherish it appreciate it um, we appreciate you we thank you for tuning into this podcast as always um, we loved answering your questions we love talking the jays with you guys um, i want to thank you all for listening um, and i hope you all have a good rest of your week we'll talk to you again um, on saturday after the marquette game